You're listening to Where We Are, a weekend conversation on faith, politics, family, and culture, hosted by me, Michael Ware, and my wife, Melissa. We bring our wide-ranging experiences in politics, ministry, and nonprofit life to bear as we discuss the issues of the day. On this week's episode, we'll consider President Biden's chances of being reelected in light of a spate of pretty poor poll numbers. We're now uh, less than a year out from the general election. So we'll take a look at President Biden's chances at re-election. You're listening to Where We Are. You're listening to Where We Are. We are the Wares. I'm Michael. I'm Melissa. Melissa. We uh, had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Great Thanksgiving. Delicious food. You did a great job cooking. Thank you. Thank you. Do what I can. Do what I can. And today we celebrated Sears' birthday. She's five years old. She's five, which, um, you know, that's technically a real person. Yeah. Five. She's like a full-on, yeah. She'll be entering kindergarten when she's five. It's definitely a milestone. Um, yeah, you've been very, very, very contemplative all week. Yes. You've been in your feelings. I have been. And she's been saying all kinds of things. Yes. That are just like... All of a sudden a switch turned on. Yeah, what happened? What? Um, but... Every year since she was three, I take her into a city. We spend a night overnight, take her to a museum, spend a day uh, together. And so tomorrow I'm taking her. I'm really excited She's about so that. excited. Yeah. Um, I uh, read the audio book, recorded the audio book for the Spirit of Our Politics. That was a fun experience. You did. You loved it. I loved it. It was fun revisiting the material. Um, and I am ready to take this book on the road. It's now out in less than two months. comes out January 23rd. The audiobook was, it was, it was a blast. It was a cool experience. Um, it was like two days, seven-hour sessions each day. So my voice was like, and my eyes were very, it was a dark booth, and I was just staring at an iPad for seven hours in the dark. Uh, but it was it was well worth it. And for those of you who uh, make use of audiobooks, I think it'll be a, a, a worthwhile um, one. was really happy with the engineer and, and the, the producer, and so I'm excited about it. Melissa. Do we want to talk about Biden? Well, let's talk about Biden. And how everybody's talking about how he's in deep trouble. Deep trouble. poll after poll as, where he's behind Trump. As David Pluff and Jim Messina would say, we got a bunch of bedwetters. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, and we'll, we'll, get, we'll, get into, we'll get into the sort of counter argument. The folks who are saying, oh, you know, he's going to be okay. But, Melissa, why don't you lay out a bit of just what we're looking at in terms of these these poll numbers that have come out over the last three, four weeks? Um, how, is, how is Biden looking when it comes to 
when it comes to polling. And we'll have a discussion about what polling means, you know, a, a year out from the election. Yes. So the the poll that sort of started us off in terms of the media chattering, pundits chattering, you know, uh, journalists getting some quotes from insiders is a New York Times Siena poll. That's the one that really uh, hit the airwaves in terms of folks saying, hold up, these numbers do not look good because um, the New York Times Siena poll was of registered voters in swing states, so the key swing states. And in every single key, uh, key swing state but Wisconsin, Trump led Biden in this New York Times Siena poll. So that was the first one to come out. Um, saw a bunch of chat around it. And now since then, we've had an Emerson poll, Morning Consult, uh, Harvard-Harris, Reuters, NBC News, CBS. And in pretty much all of them, Trump is ahead uh, against Biden in a, in a head-to-head match anywhere from one to six points. And for quite a few of those, that means that the, those results are out side the margin of error so that makes them a little bit more significant when it comes to polling if there's if that if trump is ahead outside of the margin of error now michael when we were looking at the numbers just about 10 minutes ago you pointed out something um, specific about one of the polls and then all of them are all of them save for one of these recent this recent spate of polls of the head-to-head matchup all but one is of registered voters one of them is actually likely voters. And with likely voters, that's the one, it's a Rasmussen one, that's the one where Biden was showing up uh, plus four points. So, Michael, what do you what do you think about these polls that the one we're showing Biden had and the rest of them showing Trump had? Some of them swing states, some of them not. It just depends on, on the poll. Yeah, I mean, so first, there's just been a lot of polling. So a lot of... <laughs> yes. a lot of- you know, because we're a year out, um, a lot of news organizations, polling agencies did basically their year out sort of benchmark right. polls. And so there's just a lot of data, a lot to choose from. And so for that reason, I'd sort of be skeptical of picking up one poll and looking at the demographic breakdown and and taking too much away from from one poll. I mean, what I'd be interested in, and frankly, I just haven't haven't had the time or like really the desire to, is you know looking at the crosstabs of all of these polls and seeing if there's anything consistently surprising. We'll talk about some of the surprises that have been in some of these polls. That would be the first thing I'd say. Uh, just we have a lot of lot of data here the the second thing i'd say regarding the likely voter thing it it may be more of a rasmussen issue yep always Um, can be and so not specific to rasmussen but just any polling and so so that's you know that's that's significant uh there was a likely voter poll from CBS News that it isn't in the top like dozen most recent polls, but that just goes to show how many, how much polling there has been. The poll was was in the field from late October to November 2nd. So it's mm-hmm. not even a month old. Yep. And Trump 
was in the lead in that in that CBS poll by three. So yep. now they may we'd have to dig in and and see if they have the same definition of likely voters. But I, it, I think the main point I want to say is that we are too far out from the election to take polling seriously as to what the final outcome of the election is going to look like. Mm -hmm. What we're not too early for is looking at the picture that polling and poll data sort of paints for us and not looking at every brushstroke, not looking at every, you know, uh, uh, every detail, but just saying, what is this a picture of? To put it plainly, uh, this is not going to be an easy re-election effort for Biden. Okay, so you think that this I think narrative he's in trouble. that he's in trouble is correct. But I thought he was in trouble for, for at least nine months. I mean, I... I have been too. Completely um, agree with you. You know, I think there was, and so we'll 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 we'll, we'll talk about you. You know, that concern was abated uh, a bit. Remember, with the outcome of the election a year ago, the midterm yep. elections. Then we were starting to see yes a rise of concern, but because Democrats overperformed. Yep. That sort of concern was taken taken away a bit. Mm -hmm. We also saw kind of the same thing happen this November, although there was there were fewer elections to go on. But based on, you know, I think if Republicans would have taken back the Virginia legislature, I, I think there would have been, like if the Biden team thinks it's bad now, uh, you know, if the elections in this November 2023 hadn't mm -hmm. turned out the way they did for Democrats, it would have been would have been much, much worse. But still, you look at this polling data, you look at right track, wrong track, you look mm -hmm. at uh, so many of like the the benchmarks that we look at this far out. And Biden is. In, in in rough shape. So, Melissa, let's talk about some of the main flags that we have. I think the first thing I'd say is just Biden benefited from running against the incumbent when it came to independent yes. voters. I, I think that there is a... Um, there is an expectation some have that Biden's advantage with independence is going to be relying on the same factors, the same kinds of arguments. And I think that's a mistake. I don't know exactly what number you should take off, uh, like ex exactly what number benefit you should give to, um, to Trump based on his 2020 performance with independence, given the fact that he's not the incumbent. But, but independence tend to just reject the status quo. And right now, Joe Biden is the status quo, mm -hmm. which he wasn't in 2020, obviously. Yep. And so 
that's one reason I'm concerned, which is that I think the idea that Joe Biden is going to perform higher among independents, it's a very hard argument to make. And if you're going to make that argument, you really have to be relying on these legal cases against Trump to make that argument. I don't see any other any other way to make an argument that he's going to perform better among uh, among independents. So that would be the first thing. Second thing, Melissa, um, again, it's a year out, but there's been some polling data suggesting that Trump Trump's gains among black voters, black males in particular, um, that 2020 might not be a high mark for him, that he may actually be gaining support, not just among black voters, but among Hispanic voters. Talk about that for a bit. Right. So for Hispanic voters, uh, their vote choice right now in 2020 for Democrats, it was at around 58%. And now it's around 49%. So that's, you know, almost a 10 point drop while Republicans have gained more in that area from 32% to 39%. Uh, so we've got that gain right there for Hispanic voters on the Republican side. Which, for- you know, what's notable there is that the numbers look strikingly similar yes. to Bush's numbers in 2000 and 2004. Um, and for Bush, though, Hispanic support was part of his explicit sort of case when he ran in 2000 for why he'd be electable. It was a part of his profile. He pushed for comprehensive immigration reform um, for some obvious reasons. Um, the, the idea that President, uh, uh, that former President Trump could perform better than any Republican since or even predating Bush among Hispanic voters. That's not exactly part of the part of the narrative of Trump. But as we look at these polls, that's what we're seeing. And by the way, this isn't just polling. Um, We've seen uh, this kind of support in the 2020 uh, Republicans won 39 percent of Hispanic voters in the 2022 midterms. Yes. So, so there's that. Like my, if 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 Trump gets, um, if, if so, Trump got 32 percent of the Hispanic vote in 2020. Yep. If he's in the ballpark of 40, I think it's a done deal. I think, I think Donald Trump is president again so that's one thing to watch well melissa we also have signs that he could have a a pretty high ceiling historically speaking you know recent history uh, in terms of recent history among black voters so in a bunch of new polls trump is getting about 20 percent of black voters which would be a jump from his 2020 results where he got around 12% of black voters. Um, th- that just shows that his his support might be 
maybe growing. Yeah, yeah. And so you put black Hispanic voters, the fact that a year out, we have a general election that is likely to be between Biden and Trump, two known quantities. Uh, and, you know, Trump at least seems to have a, have a, ce- have a ceiling have the possibility of significantly improving upon its 2020 numbers among black and Hispanic voters. There's one other, and this was the jarring stuff. I mean, we'll talk more. I'm not as jarred by the black and Hispanic support a year out from the election. I I think all of that can be addressed uh, from the Biden campaign and their strategy. What jarred me was this young was uh, some of this recent polling on young voters. Yes, so there are the kind of like with the with um, you know with black voters, Hispanic voters. It's also a number of newer polls looking at young at at, at young voters, and so for example, here's one of them in. One of the latest NBC News polls, a national NBC News poll, they found that um, Biden is trailing Trump among young voters ages 18 to 34, um, with Biden getting 42% and Trump getting 46%. And so that's just one, and that's around what a lot of the other polls seem to be looking like. Now, in 2020, uh, Biden won voters ages 18 to 29 by more than 20 points compared to Trump. Wow. So uh, we've gone from a 20-point advantage on Biden's side to uh, a a four-percentage-point advantage on Trump's side with uh, this NBC national poll with a bunch of others looking pretty much very similar. That's that's a drop. Yeah. Uh, That is the most troubling. Uh, Like, that... To me, is insurmountable. Like, like I, I don't think I'd be so interested if there was a Biden campaign official who said we could, we could draw even among under thirty, and but here, here's where we're gonna make it up. Like, I don't think I, I think the answer that there has to be from the Biden campaign is. We're a year out from the election. These polls are trash. We're going to be fine among young people, because because I don't know. I don't know that there is would be a path to victory among uh, uh, for Biden if he's not he's not winning under thirties by at least. I mean, I kind of want to say under you know eight points, but but really, I'm just kind of like. I mean that that would still be Trump cutting his his support and getting uh, uh, cutting the margin down in far more than half. I mean, so so that number is troubling. Melissa, I mean, just uh, uh, one thing that was very clear in the data here around young people, which there was some skepticism i mean i think you and i were basically on the same page on this point mm-hmm. but there was a lot of skepticism and especially from the left of the party it was no we 
We need to show young people we're fighting for them, even if the Supreme Court strikes down student loans, mm -hmm. even if Republicans are able, you know, they'll credit Biden because at least he fought for them. And what did I say at the time over and over again? I said, no, you do not waive $20,000 of debt cancellation in front of young people's faces like you and then just think that you can blame Republicans and the bad Supreme Court if it doesn't happen. Like, if you're going to do that, you better be able to, to execute. And they have not been. I mean, we've talked on, on this podcast and on the Morning Five about, and, and by the way, it's why, I mean, I think there's both a policy commitment but the politics is not removed from why the Biden administration keeps on trying to get different bites at the apple on this because they know that it's a huge weakness if they aren't able to take a strong student loan message into 2024. But I'll tell you what, it doesn't look like whatever they do on the policy side is going to be even in the, in the arena of what they told young voters and the parents of, of young adults uh, when they rolled out the the student loan plan that just, again, facially, you just look at it and go, oh, the Supreme Court is not gonna is not gonna accept this. So huge, huge problem. There are other issues with young people. I've been kind of skeptical on there have been a lot of progressive activists saying trying to pressure, Biden on Gaza saying that black voters, young voters are not going to forgive him, etc. I'm still skeptical on on that, that it's going to be that there's going to be a left wing backlash toward Biden um, on, on this for a number of reasons. A, American voters typically don't vote on foreign policy. Yep. B, it's it's a year out from the election. I'm, I'm not sure that this is going to be top of mind in light of everything else that Trump is going to do. The fact that, um, but who knows? Like maybe maybe it still will be a very live issue. Maybe Trump is able to um, to play an interesting sort of angle here. Um, uh, in in sort of being less pro-Israel than than Biden, um, but I'm, I'm I'm doubtful on that. It's the student loan piece that I think should should be should be really troubling. And we may look back and see it was the Afghanistan withdrawal. Uh, Biden was above water in terms of his approval rating basically until the Afghanistan withdrawal and just never recovered and then not being able to execute on student loans it's very possible a year out we're telling we're, we're telling uh, a, a story based on those two sort of tent poles so Melissa I'll make sort of the counter argument but I'm interested black voters Hispanic voters young voters other areas of weakness you see for Biden 
anything, uh, what, what other aspects of this should, tr- should trouble people who uh, would want to see Biden be reelected or at least not see Trump get a second term at the White House? Or do you think those are sort of the main, and, and we mentioned in, sort of independent voters, the idea that, that Biden probably his ceiling among independent voters is his twenty his twenty twenty numbers um, that there probably isn't much room to grow there. But anything else that you'd say? So the thing that's connected to the student loan conversation is the economic outlook that Americans feel and the cost of living. It's almost basically like the UK had a cost of living crisis this past year. It's almost like it's a cost of living crisis for the Biden team in that. Bidenomics, they have mm. they have internal. We know that yes. the White House has internal polling on Bidenomics, that it's not being understood. The president's messaging on what he has done for the American people when it comes to the economy is not registering in people's minds. People are not translating their grocery receipts and. Uh, their eating out bills, their entertainment bills, like all the kinds of things that sort of bring joy to people's lives and also just plain old sustenance, the amount of people who are going on to SNAP, things like that. People are not able to connect like an infrastructure bill and roads getting built up in their town to how much groceries continue to cost. Now, the Biden team is putting out, you know, charts every week showing that, oh, eggs have decreased uh, one year out. Eggs have decreased 22 percent. Fine and good. But when inflate the story of inflation and I remember on this podcast at least several times back when inflation was in around the 8 percent area, I said the reason why inflation is so insidious, not just for an economic outlook, which has turned out to be actually pretty interesting, but from a plain old average American perspective is that it shows the year on increase. So if, you know, inflation somewhere in, you know, the 4% area, the 3% area, that means it's still increasing by that amount. It's why the Fed always wants a below 2% because at that point people don't notice as much. But when inflation is still going at that level and when corporations and companies raise their prices, whether or not there is any kind of price gouging going on, those prices tend to stay the same and never really go back. And so for a lot of Americans, getting used to these higher prices in all kinds of areas, even if some prices might even return back, maybe, I don't know, maybe cars will, maybe the cost of, you know, like wood for building furniture, what whatever, they still feel really the effects of this and are very angry about it. And, you know, that New York Times Siena poll that I mentioned at the beginning, while it's just, please keep in mind that it's just swing states here, but, you know, you look at uh, the percent of voters who say the economy is poor or only fair, ages 18 to 29, 93% of those polled in these swing states, 93% of 18 to 29 year olds think that the economy is poor or only fair. I would say that that number, even if you were to compare it to like the nationwide polling for for young voters, whether they're voting between Biden and Trump, the 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 sort of the matchup, I would say co- people's perceptions of cost of living and Bidenomics and inflation is deeply affecting that matchup. 
I think it's one of the number one, if not the number one consideration for voters across the board, but especially for young voters. Um, that New York Times Siena polling, again, of just swing state um, registered voters, I think is stark, 93%. That is truly the, the vast majority of 18 to 29 year olds in those swing states. Uh, feel that the economy is poor only fair I think that the connection there with all this polling is is huge Michael people don't think our economy is headed in the right direction they think our economy is doing really poorly and I know for a lot of economists and probably for a lot of people inside the Biden administration it's confounding it's frustrating because so much else about the economy is going really well again we've we are in the middle of a Goldilocks scenario where our job market is still incredibly strong, adding hundreds of thousands of jobs every single month. The unemployment rate at a historic low. Wages have been rising. But you go from a pandemic era where the welfare state increased really in profound ways, and then all of that was taken away over the last year and with inflation still sitting there, at levels that the Fed is not happy with. And yeah, I can see why when you ask Americans across the board in national polling if they think the economy is going well, they do not. And the Biden team is losing with this Bidenomics message. Yeah, no, I, I, I think, you know, that ship can be righted. And I think yes, at this point, be. like, yes, they could just talk less about Bidenomics per se, but I mean, right, the criticism of, Bi of Bidenomics is less about Bidenomics being a bad term or something. It's that, it's that to promote Bidenomics is to promote the economy, but if people don't feel good about the economy, they're not going to feel good about Bidenomics. Much, <laughs> so like the, much like the economy and a lot of our measures being a basket of goods, Bidenomics represents a basket of goods in which you throw in unemployment, you throw in jobs, you throw in wages, but you throw in inflation and the cost of living. And when those, when any of those are bad, it makes the whole bunch feel bad. So I, I think the economy's a, an issue. I, I will say just one other thing that struck me, which is I don't have it in front of me. I can't tell you, but there was such a fascinating quote in an article I read from a from a voter that was like just reflecting on this is post October 7th and it was a voter saying I thought things were supposed to be back to normal under Biden yep um, and I thought that is just such a misunderstanding of the of the argument the argument wasn't global events like nothing the like Biden will will um, ensure that the course of human history is sort of benign. Uh, the argument was Trump is someone who who makes through through his own personality, his own action makes doesn't govern, doesn't lead in a normal way. But it was such an interesting turn for the voter that like what, like what, what I wonder how many voters aren't thinking in distinctions about 
When they think of, oh, things were crazy under Trump, they aren't just thinking he said things, he tweeted things. You know, they're thinking about COVID. They're thinking about, um, uh, they're thinking about sort of immigration news and those kinds of things. And so when it goes to Biden, they're not thinking in these categories of, oh, I voted for Biden so that things would be normal, so that like White House press releases were normal again. Or like, no, they're just holding him accountable to normalcy generally, which frankly, like you can't hold any president accountable to that extent for like, just like keep, keep everything like, you know, keep, keep everything normal, please. Um, so that was really striking. That was, that was really striking to me. In some ways though, I feel like the Biden campaign, DNC, the whole democratic operation was selling him on that though in some ways like happy to sell him in that way like a president who's not going to be in your face who's not going to be all over social media who isn't well, going to yeah. be the hip cool but, president but that's what i'm saying oh that's what you're saying sorry i thought you were saying no, no, no. that the biden team wasn't intentionally trying to communicate that no what i'm saying what the biden campaign what the message wasn't was nothing will happen in israel <laughs> like right. like nothing will happen in um Again, just that yeah. apparently I'm not communicating clearly on this. The, the argument, the, the, what the voter was saying was, I thought things were supposed to be normal, and yet I I look at the newspaper and there are crazy yes. things happening. But that wasn't that wasn't Biden's message of normalcy. Biden's message of normalcy was like, have a statesman in the White House again, yep. have someone who isn't who who you aren't uh, concerned about your kids watching the news on television because you never know what's going to come out of the president's mouth, like that thing. But it's, again, it's very interesting to think about if you're an average voter who isn't reading the news like every day, who isn't really thinking in these various boxes, but you just hear a candidate say, I'm going I'm, to, things are going to be normal again. Um, and so you're just thinking like things will be okay. Like that sounds great. But then you go through the Biden administration and you're not thinking again, that voter isn't looking at every white house press statement and going, I'm so glad that they aren't in all caps, you know, like, they, <laughs> like, no, they're thinking, wait, normal. I, I thought we were promised normalcy and yet, um, and yet, uh, the Afghanistan withdrawal. And I thought we were promised normalcy, but the Middle East seems on fire. I'm making uh, more money than I ever made before, and I can't afford a single thing. Sure. Yeah. And so, so, so that's the other thing I want to put in, which I guess relates to my independence comment, which is like, normalcy isn't going to be as attractive this time around. It's not going to be as 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 alluring of a commitment. Now, of course, Trump can make it more alluring if uh, if it's if it's really uh, the, the more he the more he reminds voters, uh, particularly independents, of what it was like to have him as president, then maybe some of Biden's sort of normalcy unity language will will have more cachet for right now. 
uh, it's it's a little tough. Yes, when it comes to because uh, the last thing we just wanted to discuss was Jonathan Martin put out a piece in Politico. You know, in light of all this polling for Biden and this narrative around Biden being in trouble, is what can the Biden team do to sort of start turning this ship around? And one of the most compelling arguments from him, and that I completely agree, is. By the way, before you jump in, yes. I just want to say, and part of the reporting from this came from the Biden campaign has been giving briefings. Yes. Not just to donors, but they did a briefing that was alongside of the Obama Foundation's Democracy Summit. Not not directly connected to it, but just because everyone was going to be in town in Chicago for the summit, they organized a briefing for like Democratic Party activists and strategists and that kind of thing. And so the, the, the Biden campaign is trying to allay fears, get people to tr- trust the process, right. you know, trust the uh, trust the campaign. Um, but but yeah, so I just, so part of Jonathan Martin's reporting was was coming out of these briefings that the Biden campaign has been doing, which, according to his report, a lot of people leave these briefings feeling better, feeling like, okay, they have a handle on things. But yeah, what what were some of the recommendations that came out? The the number one for me would be to go on the offensive against Trump. And obviously we just hit one year out from, from this from this election. And so in a lot of ways, like it hasn't made sense for this to be how the camp how the Biden campaign should have been leading and thinking about what they're doing. But now it seems like a great time, especially not just in terms of writing the ship, but just in general timing that show Trump's record, um, bait him to show his own record and go on the offensive against him about what he did and how abnormal so much of his presidency was to remind especially the voters in these kinds of core blocks like um, Hispanic voters, black voters, young voters, um, folks who obviously Trump is starting to possibly, according to the current polling again, might be sort of uh, chipping away at reminding those voters that hold up a second, if he gets back in power, this this is how chaotic it will be again. That is the most... It's kind of like on the Republican primary side when it comes to a Haley or DeSantis. I was just going to say... Where the most, the most compelling thing that could... And obviously, the Republican primary will benefit from Biden doing this, and then Biden mm, will possibly, no, maybe... I mean, I, I, so that that's what I was going to say, which is... I, I wonder how much of it so the, the the more cynical way of looking at it would be the Biden campaign doesn't want Trump to appear any more vulnerable while the primary process is going on because they don't want to like unload their arguments against the front runner and potentially weaken weaken Trump. I I'm not as convinced by that i just think things get like unpredictable if things get unpredictable and also i i think that um it's kind of not befitting for a sitting president to be concentrating on political attacks of his likely opponent a year out from the election you know like Barack Obama wasn't 
on the campaign trail against Mitt Romney or, you know, like, and so, like, I, I, I'm referring not to what you're saying, Melissa, mm-hmm. but to the Politico, to, to the John Hamart, like, we're, we're a year out. Like, there's going to be more than enough time for Biden to be prosecuting his case against Trump. I do think if he was doing more of that now, his poll numbers would look good. But who, like, I think the what the Biden campaign would say is like, what poll numbers look like a year out from the election has that doesn't matter. Like we we have an election, we, we know what dates the election is going to be held by, and we have a strategy to win a year from now, not today. Um, and so I'm I'm kind of less. less concerned about Biden's sort of, I think that there's some real risk to Biden running against Trump a year out from the election. I I think that it could sort of deaden people, especially swing voters, to the case that'll, that'll need to be made, um, need to be made down the road. I do think there's there's a broader argument Martin makes in the piece that Biden could be drawing stronger contrasts with Republicans. I think that that's, I think that that's probably true to an extent. But I, I also think Martin was talking with Democratic activists. Of course, they're going to say, "Oh, we should just be beating up on Republicans more." Um, that that's that's why the that's why the party exists. I think Biden Biden's done quite a bit of that. I mean, don't forget the Philadelphia democracy speech. Like, don't forget. Um, like, I think I, I think that there's been been some of that. Could there be more? And would it be helpful strategically? Maybe. Um, I was interested in the Martin piece about this, and Jonathan admitted. Like, we don't know what is happening. Maybe there are all these behind-the-scenes talks. But Jonathan Martin's argument that, you know, where is the recruitment of Liz Cheney? Where is the recruitment of uh, the courting of George W. Bush, of Mitt Romney? Um, and we don't know if that's happening. Um if it isn't, I agree. Like it, it should be, but I also don't think that if it was happening, that we should know about it now. So it is one of those like I hope that, that this is what the Biden campaign is doing, but, um, but that isn't the kind of thing that you'd roll out a year out from the election, except for you know, Liz Cheney. You know, I I could see, I could see that having having some value a year out. Yeah, I was less compelled by that one a little bit, too. The second one I was most compelled by was appointing a special envoy to the Middle East um, (laughs) to deal with uh, Israel and Gaza. And who did he suggest, Melissa? He suggested either Bill Clinton or Hillary Clinton. No, both. Both Oh, yes, yes, both. Um, Because, you know, he brought up the the example of Northern Ireland and getting a former senator— um, George Mitchell to come in, and he was very victorious. He got the uh, he 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 
was very much credited by then President Bill Clinton in bringing about peace. Right, he was saying it required it required Clinton to share the credit. Yes, it required. And well, who cares? Share the credit. It's it's your administration. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. But the idea is very compelling to me that Israel Gaza is a is the most complex conflict that we have going on truly anywhere in the world. The president is trying to otherwise be president in other ways and run a re-election campaign that having help in that area, it could be very beneficial. Yeah. I I agree with the suggestion. And I think I think part of what it shows Again, it's sort of the benefit of, of, oh, he could call on former presidents and secretaries of state to help on important issues. Like it, it, it this is, it, it, it goes back to, this is normal, this is statesmanship, this is, I just think that those kinds of messages are weaker in a reelect than when you're trying to replace someone that the that swing voters were just tired of at the time um so so yeah i, I mean I, I i um but yeah I, I i generally think it's for a number of reasons whether it's whether it's bill clinton and hillary clinton or um they're likely going to need on need to bring on some help. Maybe it's bringing Dennis Ross back, um, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so, 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 yeah. I, I think Melissa, like the case for, he has the advantages of incumbency. Uh, he, uh, you know, he'll. It will be a, um, you know, a billion-dollar campaign. Uh, so a lot of money is going to be spent. Some of the base issues will look different after the campaign than before. That's part of why we, you know, that's that's the whole point of of uh, of of a campaign. Um, and so. You know, I, I I think there is a um, there's reason to be concerned. This idea that Donald Trump doesn't have a chance to win should obviously be put to bed. He does. Um, it's going to be a it's going to be a competitive general election, uh, and there are there are headwinds that the Biden campaign is facing now, a year out. They they have real problems that they need to address. How closely these problems strike to like the 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 core, I think, re- remains to be remains to be seen um what i do want to do is continue to to pay attention to some of the threads that we've talked about 
in this episode. Like, so consider this episode our sort of year out preview. I think these are five good topics to be thinking about when you think about the general election. Independent voters. Is there any sign that Biden can at least match his 2020 performance? 18 to 29, how persistent is this poor showing among 18 to 29-year-olds? Black voters, Hispanic voters, um, and this, um, this question of normalcy, status quo, where does the Biden campaign seek to go, seek to go there? And I think that's a, and then obviously, you know, the economy is always, always at the center of, of, of elections. We're going to be watching the economic data. We're going to be watching Americans' opinions about the state of, state of the economy, but, but these are the contours of the race. If you want to throw in Trump's legal problems, yes. Um, it's, it's going to be a competitive race. I, I think that Biden has a tougher re-election fight ahead of him than Barack, Ob- uh, than Barack Obama had in 2012. Uh, and that's, that's a campaign that, that I'm... I'm uh, I'm I'm uh, closely uh, familiar with, and uh, I, I think I think the Biden campaign has an even tougher tougher road ahead of them. Um, one last bit of advice from Martin's column: uh, General Malley Dillon, who was my boss on that 2012 campaign, Martin suggests that she should either uh, re- return to manage the 2024 reelect or that she should be given a position in the White House similar to David Pluff's role in, in 2012. And, and I, I think that's that's probably right. Jen has experience in tough reelection campaigns and that experience uh, would would uh, would likely be invaluable. All right, there's your uh, I, I guess yeah, turn into a, a sort of 2024 general election uh, uh, preview. Uh, we hope you had a wonderful holiday, wonderful Thanksgiving. We will be back next week with a new episode of Where We Are. Thanks for listening. Bye. I still wanna turn up. Yeah, I still wanna turn up.